Guys, if you've not yet met me, hi. Uh, my name is Jeff, my amazing wife Jessica and I. She's sitting right over here today. Uh, we are the youth pastors here at Grace, uh, and I get to serve on this incredible teaching team. Uh, and I'm using Sam's iPad, so one second. Got it. Remembered the code. All right, he didn't sabotage me. That's good. Uh, I get to be on the teacher team, and I get to bring a message about once a month, and so today uh, happens to be our day, um, or my day. Uh, our day. We're sharing this moment together. Go us. Um, and I get to bring the message. Today we're going to be going through Deuteronomy 22 through 25, uh, which in my initial reading, if y'all want to jump ahead, you can go and turn there. Of course, it'll be on the Sky Bible and on the app if you download it on the Google Play Store or the, uh, the Apple App Store if you're a Christian. Um, you can download it. I'm just kidding. Love you all. You can download it there, and all the scripture and the notes and stuff will be there. Um, but we'll be in Deuteronomy 22 through 25, and I'm not going to lie, when I initially read this, I was like, what am I going to do with that? <laughs> it's, it's, a lot of like old, it's a lot of like Old Testament, like Mosaic laws. And so I thought, you know, I wasn't going to have a lot of time. And so I can try to tiptoe through the hard stuff, or we can just tackle the hard stuff straight on. And so really, we're just going to go through each chapter, and we're going to pick out the weirdest law, and we're going to talk about it. Does that sound, it sounds like a plan. I mean, what could go wrong? Nothing. Yeah. Uh, and so that's what we're going to be doing today. So real quick, I just want to open up some prayer, and this is more for me, uh, but if you would, pray with me, and we'll just pray for God to be here and, and speak through me, all right? All right, Father God, we thank you so much for this day, Lord. We thank you for everything you do for us and you continue to do through us. God, I just pray right now for your Holy Spirit to be on me, God, uh, that it would not be my words that are heard, because my words won't help anybody, Lord, but your word. Your word has the power to be internally impactful. And God, I just pray for your Holy Spirit in this place right now, Lord, um, that, that hearts would be open, that ears would be open, that barriers would be broken down today, Father, and that your word would find its way into the hearts of those here today, Father. I just pray for your Holy Spirit to be with all those struggling, all those dealing with, with life right now, Father. I just pray for you to be with them, Lord. We love you. We trust you. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 So, um, did y'all like our, our adorable little girls that we had up here? Weren't they great? Yeah, awesome. So the, the littlest one, if y'all didn't know, that, one, that one's mine. That belonged to me. I made that. Uh, Jessica, <laughs> help. Uh, <laughs> anyway, she, she's mine, and she is fantastic. Um, she is five and thinks she knows everything. Um, this year, she played soccer for the first time. So I don't know if you've ever watched a five-year-old soccer game. It's as eventful as you would imagine. <laughs> and the funny thing coming in, like her team too was like the team that had never played before. And so they had like the most experienced coach, but the most experienced coach took all the kids who had never played. And so most of the time they didn't know really what was going on. They understood the objective, put the ball in the goal, don't let the ball go in your goal. But that was, that was about the max until a few games into the season. Uh, and it was around the second or third game, London got put in a position she had never played. She got put at, like, the goalie position. She had never practiced defense. And, and so she understood her objective was to keep the ball out of the goal. The problem is she kept getting uh, out of place. And so she would run too far up the field to, you know, to go to the ball, and they'd just go right past her and, and score. Um, and, and so one of the coaches at some point finally came up, and they told her to stay on the line. And so there's a line about five feet away from the goal, and it's, we would know intuitively that this is a good distance to stay away from the goal to keep the ball out. But my daughter was told to stay on the line. <laughs> okay, y'all know where I'm going with this. Because my daughter went, okay, 
and she stood on the line. <laughs> she unwaveringly held that line down. And the, the ball came up, she watched it, she watched it go by her, <laughs> right into the goal, and she did not move off the line. <laughs> she did exactly as she was instructed. <laughs> she stayed on the line. In fact, I tried to come and like yell from the sidelines, being the soccer dad, and, and explain to her that she could move from the line, but she's like, nope, my coach told me to stay on the line. I don't understand what this accomplishes, but I'm going to do it. And as I was thinking about that, wouldn't it be fantastic if we had that kind of faith? Just think about it. My daughter watched as three goals got scored past her, but because she had been instructed to stay on the line, she remained on the line. She might not have understood the why, but she trusted the who. And see, a lot of times when we're learning about God or when God's telling us to do something, we might not understand the why, but we're not always meant to understand. We're meant to trust. Faith is we trust the who, even if we don't understand the why. And so if God's telling you to hold the line, you hold the line. If God's telling you to move, then you move. If, if God's telling you to go, then you go. If God's telling you to give, then you give. We, we, we may not understand the why, but we trust in the who. And we've got to have this childlike faith that Jesus talks about where London comes up and she holds the line. Maybe there was misunderstanding, clearly, but she did as she was told. She did as she was instructed. You see, but what I find that as I get older and I get more mature and more intelligent, I have no idea where that came from. <laughs> Here we are. Anyway, as I've gotten older, as I've, started, I've started figuring out my own why and my own how, and then I start to sometimes ignore the who, and, and if I'm not careful, I become very good at justifying doing it my own way, right? We, 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 are, we are strikingly good at justifying not doing what we don't want to do. We, we are so good. It's like, God, I would, I would go tell them about Jesus right now. I would. I have the passion, but I got some heinous coffee breath, and, and they just they don't, they don't want that. God, I would, I would read my Bible, but I just don't have time. I just, I, I'm just so slammed at work. Well, yeah, I've watched Friends five times. That's not the point. No, no, like, like, no trust me, God, I would, I would cover their meal, but if I bought my meal and their meal, it would put me in the negatives, $30 overdraft. Like, God, I can't, I, it doesn't make sense. And we get really, really good at justifying not following God. And, and so it's one of the first things I want us to do is make sure that we're not getting too good at not following God. Because a lot of times we will do our best to justify not following God. And trust me, we can come up with amazing reasons that make a lot of sense, especially to, to people, to, within our own human understanding. They make a lot of sense. But most of the time, actually every time I've ever seen God move, it didn't make sense. And so sometimes taking a leap of faith feels a lot like taking a leap of faith. It's like, I don't know where we're going. I don't know where this is leading. I don't know what God is going to do, but I trust the one who's going to do it. And that's what faith looks like. I've said it a lot, and, and maybe I'm just mainly preaching to myself, but faith is not me trusting that God is going to do what I want him to do. That's not faith. That's puppeteering. Faith is, I trust you even when I don't know what you're going to do. Even when I don't know how you're going to work this out. Even when I don't know what they're going to say. Even when I don't know how this is going to end or how this is going to affect me. God, I trust in you. 
We trust in you. You see, we wear the title of Christian, the, the title of, of, of Christian, and a lot of us wear that title without really knowing what it means. So the title Christian means Christ-like or Christ follower. Now we can be we can tell a really dangerous lie by telling those around us and even telling ourselves that we are a Christian. Many of you know my story. I was not a Christian until I was about 22. But one of the most dangerous lies I ever told was that I was when I was not. I had convinced everyone around me that I was a Christian, except I didn't believe in Jesus, and I sure as heck didn't follow Jesus. But I wore the title proudly. <laughs> I'm a Christian, but I wasn't following Christ, and so I didn't live up to the name at all. You see, to be a Christian means we follow Christ. We, we act as Jesus acted. We speak as Jesus spoke. And no, we're not going to be perfect. We're far from it. But we do our absolute best to follow Jesus every single day. And so what I want to ask you is for you to ask the question, are you following Jesus? Are you, are you holding the line when God tells you to hold the line? Are you moving when God tells you to move? Are, are, are you speaking when God tells you to speak? Are you, are you using the words, the very breath that God gave you to glorify him or glorify yourself? Are we honoring Christ in what we do? Because that's what it takes to be a Christian, is to be Christ-like, to follow Jesus. So are we trusting God with our actions or our words only? Are, are we trusting God with our actions or our words only? Because I, I, up until I was 22, I'd have told you I was a Christian but had I died in that car accident when I was 17, I'd be burning in hell right now. Because my words were not enough. I didn't actually believe what I said. And so are we trusting in God with our actions or with our words only? James says that faith without action is dead. And so are we trusting in God with our actions? Because it's so important that we actually believe what we say that we believe. And so I'm going to get into this, that, that even when we don't understand the instruction, so going back to the hold the line metaphor, even when we don't understand why we're holding the line, we may not understand the why, but we trust in the who. And so when God tells us to move, we are to follow. When God lays out a law or when God lays out a commandment, we are to follow. Maybe not because we understand the why, but because we trust in the who. Faith is not, God, I understand everything you're doing. It's, God, I know that you are good and what you are doing is for good. And, God, I know that your word is always good. And so we're going to dive in today into some weird scriptures because that's the plan for today. And, and, and you may be like, wow, the Bible says that, and it does, okay? we got to trust that God is good, and he had a good, mighty, and holy plan, and we're going to bring that all back around in just a little bit as to what God's ultimate plan was through these laws and through these commandments. See, also, like Teresa said last week, um, I'm one of those that tried several times to read through the Bible cover to cover, and somewhere around Leviticus, I got a little bit lost. I'm not going to lie. I don't know what's going on anymore or where we're at. Um, and so the, the, you lost me at Leviticus, that was me, all right? And I'm, I'm proud that our church is not afraid of the Bible, though. I, I'm, I'm proud that we spent so many weeks going through Leviticus, chapter by chapter by chapter, and breaking it down. And that's one of the things I love about it here is we're not afraid of the Bible. The Bible says some weird stuff. It does, it does. We can get into some of that. But it's still good, and God is still good. He is still in control, and he is still mighty, Okay? 
All right, so we're going to be jumping in. Uh, in Deuteronomy 22, if you're there, you can go and turn there. Now, as we first jump into uh, Deuteronomy 22, uh, we're going to see Moses kind of laying out these laws and these mandates. Um, and honestly, it, it's pretty straightforward up until about verse 5. That's where we're going to jump in if you want to read ahead. Um, the first few is kind of talking about if you find something that belongs to someone else, return it to them. That's just a nice thing to do. If you find someone who's like ox or donkey has fallen down, this would be the equivalent to like us seeing someone broken down on the side of the road. Go and help them. You know, be a good person is what God's saying to do. Uh, and then in verse 5, we're just going to jump right into this. And, and I kind of wish that, you know, I, I had a few more softballs to hit first before we dive right into verse 5. But you know what? This is how God laid it out, so let's go with it. A woman must not wear men's clothing, nor a man wear women's clothing, for the Lord your God detests anyone who does this. Okay? So let's really look at this, because I've heard, I've heard a lot of interpretations. Um, I, I've heard that a lot of people have used this verse to, um, to say, you know, women can't wear blue jeans uh, or, or T-shirts, or guys can't wear earrings, or uh, uh, other things of that sort. And, and I mean, that's open interpretation. I'm not breaking that down or anything. Um, but what I will say at this particular time, uh, in the Old Testament, even in like Jesus' day, if you've ever watched The Chosen, if you actually look at their attire, look at their fashion, how they're dressed, they're dressed remarkably the same. They all wore dresses, okay? I mean, it's a, they call it a robe, but it was a dress, okay? It, 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 I mean, if I walked up here in a robe, y'all be like, dude's in a dress. I mean, so I, I think it has a lot more, and a lot of the scholars that I've read believe that it has a lot more to do um, with the way that you present yourself rather than your fashion choices, right? And so th- this particular scripture is talking about a a, a woman presenting herself as a man and a man presenting himself as a woman. And as we know, this is a very culturally relevant topic for today. And I'm just so glad God chose me to get up here and talk about that. Um, uh, <laughs> just so glad. Uh, I love it. It is something we definitely need to talk about, though. I mean, that's one thing. We're not, grace is not afraid of the Bible. And so if the Bible says it, we're going to talk about it. If, the God, if God ordains it, we're going to believe it. If God speaks it, we're going to follow it. And, and so right here, it's saying that a, man, a woman should not present herself as a man. A man should not present himself as a woman. And so this obviously has to do uh, with the topic of transsexuality and transgender issues that we're going through right now. You see, I don't believe that this is a, a, a commandment about fashion. Like, hey, don't wear that headdress. I, I think it's more about deviating from God's original design. In Genesis 1, 27, it says, So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. You see, God had a design. God created all things perfect. And he created them male and female. Uniquely different male and female. And that's how we were created. And so what we see here is a deviation away from God's original design. I'm not shocked then in the 21st century, all the devil's still doing is lying. Because all he's doing is he's trying to corrupt God's original design by saying there are no genders. That is simply an attempt to corrupt God's original design. All the devil can do is lie. That's all he can do is he can tempt and he can lie. That's all he does. The thing is he's very good at it and we're very susceptible to it. And so we see a direct attack on God's original design. And even way back, way back when, when, when Moses was writing Deuteronomy, we see this, still see the same attack. And, and, and so the truth is, and I, I really feel like I'm preaching to the choir at this point, there are two genders. 
There is male, there is female. God knew you before he formed you inside your mother's womb. He wove together the strands of your DNA to be who you are. You were created on purpose for a purpose. You are not an accident. That's another thing that the, that the world tries to tell us. It's another lie the devil tries to tell us that you are the product of a big bang and an evolution and random chance and everything poof happened for no particular reason at all and you came to being. What's that doing? That's destroying your purpose. God created you on purpose for a purpose. God has a reason. God knew you. God chose you. God set you apart. You are uniquely crafted and created by the mighty hand of the creator God. That is the absolute truth. And yes, you are uniquely created male and female. Man, that's a lot of the world's trying to tell. And now I assume today that I would be preaching to the choir on that particular one. And so for a moment, I want to preach to the choir. Because there's one thing that I, I have seen lately, and, and, and it's that this particular sin, listen, I love people that struggle with the sin of homosexuality and transsexuality. But notice my wording. I love people that struggle with the sin of homosexuality and transsexuality. Guess what? All the people I love struggle with sin. Now, for some reason, this sin has been placed on a pedestal. And for some reason, this particular people group is almost unreachable by Christians. And I think it's because we, 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 we begin to look at them in a different light. And they have a very, um, I, I, I play video games on the internet, okay? I meet all sorts of people. Um, and I've met a lot of people in this community, and they do not have a very high opinion of Christians. And nearly everyone I've talked to has had a personal encounter. Now, a lot of times it's family, which gets a little bit trickier. Uh, but they've all had a personal encounter with a Christian, and that's who they perceive Jesus to be. So, in fact, let me tell you a story. Uh, we, we'll probably have time. Let me tell you a story. Wednesday night, I, I go live, play video games on the Internet. That's what I do. Go, I, I play video games on the Internet. I tell people about Jesus. Uh, I go live, and, and I'm just working on some design. And I have this guy come into my chat. Uh, he's a young man from Canada. He's 22. Um, he comes into my chat, and, and we're talking about something faith-related. I don't even really remember what it was. Uh, but he quickly uh, expressed that he was an atheist. Um, in fact, he was, he was working toward being a Satanist atheist, which is uh, just an atheist to the next level. They, they still don't believe in God or the devil, but they use Satan as their, uh, their mascot, per se, because he was the angel of rebellion. Um, and so this is the, his way of rebelling against God. Uh, and so I'm like, oh, man, that's, that's crazy. Well, hey, welcome. You're still welcome here. I appreciate you being here on the channel. Um, I have people from all over. I have a guy who's literally a priest in a Satanist cult. I don't even know what that looks like, but I've told him the gospel three times. And so we're still doing what God's telling us to do. Um, and he comes and he starts talking. And I'm like, oh, wow, that's crazy, man. Uh, wh what made you choose that, that way of life? And he said, religion. And now what it turned out is he'd met a few Christians, which to me was very disheartening. Because he had not been shown the love of Christ. And we are Christians, Christ-like, Christ followers, many Christs. We should be oozing with the love of Jesus to everyone that we encounter. And, uh, and, and so he, he continues to talk and he continues to tell me. And I, you know, I express like, hey, Christians are a bad representation of our Christ. Even I am a flawed individual. I'm messed up. I'm going to make mistakes. Uh, I'm a bad representation of Jesus, but Jesus loves you, he called you, and he chooses you. And so he starts to lay out um, all these uh, arguments against Christianity. Um, and, and so, I mean, he had plenty, and, and we kind of went through and went through them. For over an hour, we just talked about these, these different arguments and, and uh, things he had to disprove Christianity. And finally, we were just kind of talking in circles, and, and, and I, I felt like God kind of told me, just share the gospel. Just share the gospel and end it. And I did. I worked my way all the way from God's original creation 
to how sin led us into brokenness, from how in brokenness Jesus came to us, laid his life down and died so that we could be saved, not because we are good, but because he is good, and that through placing our faith in Jesus that he could be saved. That young man accepted Christ right there on the internet, yeah. God is good. Uh, he actually, uh, the, that young man told me he prayed the salvation prayer with me. I had him, you know, bow his head, close his eyes, and pray with me. And he said he felt God for the very first time in his life. Uh, I've actually been keeping up with him this week. I have shipped a Bible to him in Canada. Uh, and, and I bring all that up to say, we just got to love people. We do. We just got to love people. And they're not going to look like we do. They're not going to act like we do. They're not, and, and listen, this is another thing. We, have, we as Christians have a higher standard than the rest of culture. But we can't expect someone who doesn't know Christ to live up to that same standard. And so we've got to show them the love of Christ. When Jesus came, he could have went and chose all the perfect people. He could have went to the synagogues and grabbed the religious people. He, he could have went to the schools and found the most educated. He went to the fishermen. He went to the tax collectors. He went, he went, to, the, he went to the bad places where the uneducated were, where the lost were, where, the, where those were that didn't know uh, the Bible, that didn't know uh, about the prophets. He, he went to them. He went to the broken individuals. And you and I, per the great commandment, uh, we are called to do the same thing. We are to go into all the world and make disciples. And we are called to do that with love and gentleness. With gentleness and respect is what Peter says. That we are always prepared to defend the gospel. We're always prepared to present the gospel. And I bring that up at this particular time because the LGBTQ plus community is the community that needs reached more than anything in the, right now at this time. They, they, there are millions of people that don't know Jesus but they've met a lot of Christians. And we have got to be a representative of Christ to everyone that we meet. And so again, I knew I was going to be preaching to the choir today. And so when you encounter someone that doesn't look like you, doesn't talk like you, doesn't act like you, don't like the same people that you like or vote the same way that you voted, love them. Love them. They're getting enough hate out in the world. And you can't win anyone to Christ with pride and, and hate. It won't work. You win people with love. Jesus says they will know you by your love. Love. They will know you by your love. Now, now I want to I add on to that because a lot of people, a lot, I've seen a lot of Christians kind of fall in the trap of, well, if I love someone, then I accept them. No, 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 no. no. See, if you, if you knew someone who was dying of cancer and you had the cure, it would be very unloving for you not to give them the cure. It, loving someone doesn't mean you accept their sin. It's you love them despite their sin and you try to lead them to the cure. And so don't ever stop praying for them. Don't ever stop talking about Jesus. Don't ever stop ta talking about church. Don't ever stop talking about how there is another way. And being there for them when they need you. Because if you are a positive impact in someone's life, as soon as the world hits them, and it does, it hits every single one of us, they'll come to you. And so sometimes it's about, hey, I love you. I believe in Jesus. I want to tell you about Jesus. You don't want to hear about him? Okay, cool, let's go golfing then. And guess what? Two weeks from now, when him and his wife have a fight, he calls you. And you get to share the gospel again. Just, just be that person. Be the hands and feet of Christ to a broken world. And that's what we're called to do. All right. Let's carry on. We're going to jump on into another fun verse, into verse 13. Um, and by the way, my homework for you guys is to go home and read all this. I do not have time to cover all three chapters, but we're just going to co cover the weird stuff, okay? So uh, verse 13 
It says, if a man takes a wife and after sleeping with her, dislikes her and slanders her and gives her a bad name saying, I married this woman, but when I approached her, I did not find proof of her virginity. Good stuff. Then the young woman's father and mother shall bring to the town elders at the gate proof that she was a virgin. Her father will say to the elders, I gave my daughter in marriage to this man, but he dislikes her. Now let me tell you a fun little story that Pastor Dennis has shared with me about how marriage has happened way back when. So, uh, a, a um, biblical times, way back when, this is what I'm talking about. Um, in biblical times, at this particular time, uh, it was a very, uh, premarital sex wasn't really a thing. We're going to get to that a little bit later on why there wasn't any premarital sex. But it wasn't really a thing, and so it was a very uh, big respectful right to be a virgin when you were married, at least for the female. Um, and, and so, what would happen is the couple would be betrothed, usually for about a year, where they'd get to know each other. There would be, um, there would be no sexual activity or anything like that. Uh, but then during their wedding, the rest of the party members would hang out, you know, eating potato casserole and stuff, and they would go up and um, consummate the marriage, if you, if you catch my drift. Um, then they would bring a bed sheet, um, which would prove the virginity of the female, and they would present it to the mother, to the, the mother and father of the bride. I bet y'all love our modern weddings now, huh? Yeah. Yeah, I'll, I'll take all sorts of, like, sands and candles and stuff over this, but they would present this, and it goes even further that the, uh, the, the, the mother and father of the bride would actually, like, hang it in their home as a, a symbol that they had raised a good, respectful daughter. So that's the proof that they would have. If this man were to say she was not a virgin, they would bring forth the cloth and be like, look, here it is, not ketchup. Uh, sorry, sorry. Oh. That's the proof they would have. And uh, then the man would be, uh, he would be punished, he would be fined, and then he could never divorce her again. He would have no, no rights to divorce her. And so that is that, the fun little law that we got to talk about today. So we're in the marital laws right now, which is just where it really gets fun. Uh, so we're just going to jump into verse 22 uh, and talk about this, okay? If a man is found sleeping with another man's wife, both the man who slept with her and the woman must die. You must purge the evil from Israel. Now, this is interesting because if you remember in the New Testament, uh, there's some Pharisees that bring a young lady caught in the act of adultery and lay her before Jesus. And they said, the, the, the law of Moses says that we should stone her. Teacher, what do you say? And if you remember, Jesus writes some stuff down in the dirt, you know, probably their dirt. And he says... Ye without sin cast the first stone. And they all drop their stones and they walk away. Because you notice the law of Moses actually says, both the man and her must die, yet they only brought the woman. You see, the law of Moses said they were supposed to bring them both and that they were to purge evil from Israel. Okay, so let's jump down into the next verse. Uh, if a man happens to meet in a town a virgin pledged to be married, so pledged to betrothed to a man, and he sleeps with her, you shall take both of them to the gate of the town and stone them to death. The young woman, because she was in town and did not scream for help, and the man, because he violated another man's wife, you must purge evil from among you. And so this one's interesting. Now, in town, it would have been unlike a town like we have. All these houses would be within two to four feet of each other. So you could scream from anywhere in town, and someone would be there. And so the fact that she did not scream meant this was a consensual act, and they would both be killed. Because this is a really good way to eliminate premarital sex. I'm just, I'm just saying. 
it's a problem in culture right now. I'm thinking God had some answers. Um, probably a little drastic, but a really good way to stop premarital sex. Uh, and, and actually, by contrast, so this is a, the, the woman is in town. Um, she has the opportunity to scream. She does not must be consensual. Now, by contrast, the next verse talks about how if a man takes a woman um, out into the country and rapes her, that he alone will be put to death because she did nothing of sin because she was out in the country where she could not scream for help. Uh, and so by that, um, God has protected um, her rights uh, and protects her in that situation when she is uh, treated that way. Now, verse 28. This is the the weird one. This is where I want to take just a moment. And and I once read a book. It's called um, Walking in the Dust of Rabbi Jesus. And it's all about, like, understanding Jesus from a uh, a Jewish perspective. And it talked about how to understand Scripture, we need to take off our 21st century lenses um, and look at the culture and the context of what's happening. And I think 28 really, really requires us to take off our 21st century lenses, okay? So it says, if a man happens to meet a virgin who is not pledged to be married and rapes her, and they are discovered, he shall pay her father 50 shekels of silver. He must marry the young woman, for he has violated her, and he can never divorce her as long as he lives. Now this scripture, just to get the weirdness out of the way, she must marry her rapist. Yeah, that's, that's bad. That's bad. If we can take off our 21st century glasses, it's still bad. It's still bad. Not, it doesn't get better on the act. But what has happened now is she's been violated. By their standards, she has no value. She cannot be married off at this point because she is no longer a virgin. In fact, if she tried to lie and say she was, we read a few verses back that she would be stoned when there was no proof of her virginity. And so what he has done is he has just taken her value from her. She could never be married off. And a woman at this time had to be supported by her husband and then by her children. And that was her way of support. And so he had just stolen her only way of support. And so what God is now saying is you stole that from her, now you give it to her. Now you will take care of her. You will provide for her. You 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 will never be able to divorce her. You will never be able to leave her. And you will always be her support. Now, it's still bad. But for this culture, for this context, this was the way that the woman was taken care of, is that the man was now forced to provide for her and to take care of her and, and give her children and all of those things. So, yes, still a strange one. The Bible actually says this, but it was a way that the woman could still be taken care of. So, okay, let's jump on. That's where we're going to end in 22. In 23, it's going to talk about, um, when you go home and read this with your family, uh, it's going to talk all about uh, the different people groups that are excluded from, from church and, and from uh, the assembly. Uh, verse 20, or chapter 24 uh, is, is going to have a large conversation about divorce. And it's actually going to be a, a topic that the Pharisees asked Jesus in Matthew 19 uh, when they ask him, Jesus, is it lawful for a man to just divorce a woman for any particular reason? Um, and what they're doing, this is actually a really political trap. Um, is at this time there was two particular schools of teaching. There was the school of Shammai and there was the school of Hillel. Uh, Those were the two predominant teachers at this time. And so basically they were making Jesus choose which one, which teaching he followed. So the school of Shammai said that you could only divorce a woman for sexual immorality. The school of Hillel said that you, uh, you you could divorce a woman pretty much for anything, uh, for any impurity. So that could be sexual immorality or it could be that she burnt your casserole or it could be that you've seen a prettier girl walking down the road because that could be an impurity in your sight. And so they were asking Jesus, which one do you side with? 
Shammai or Hillel? And Jesus actually goes one step further. He says, haven't you read that at the beginning the creator made them male and female and said, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united with the wife and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no man separate. You see, Jesus's requirements for marriage or for divorce was even greater than, than Shammai or Hillel or even Moses. Now, later, Jesus will say, let there be no divorce except for sexual immorality. That is the one, the one clause added onto it. Um, Jesus is very strict on that. All right, let's jump into chapter 25. I know I've covered like three chapters in like two minutes. We're flying, guys. Uh, <laughs> but, but you guys get to go home and read this and read all the, all the easy stuff. I'm just covering the hard stuff, okay? And this one's, this one's real fun. This is, this is one you didn't know was in the Bible. Deuteronomy 25, 11 through 12. If two men are fighting and the wife of one of them comes to rescue her husband from his assailant and she reaches out and seizes him, rise private parts, you shall cut off her hand, show her no pity. Well, ladies, in case that was the question you were asking when you came into church today, it's a no-no. So let's just try to make some sense out of this for a second. Uh, this, this particular, if you read it, talks, it comes right after the, the Leverite laws. And so this is, uh, this is all about um, keeping a, a genealog- genealogy uh, together. And so immediately before this, it's talking about how if a, a man dies and he has no heirs, that his brother is to sleep with his wife and give him an heir on his side. Uh, many of you are probably pleased that we're not still abiding by these, uh, a lot of these laws. Um, but if he has no heirs, his brother should do so. And so this is talking, this is coming right in the context of preserving the name, preserving the heritage. And so there's likely a connection between um, seizing the private parts and preserving a heritage. And it is through said private parts that a heritage comes from. And so it's likely to protect the man and, honestly, the woman's modesty in this situation. Um, I'm hoping this law was not written for a particular instance, um, but that is what it says, and that's kind of where it falls in Scripture. And we made it. <laughs> we got through. Now, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to kind of cl- try to wrap up and, and close this up. And so uh, this message I titled, Don't Miss the Point. Don't miss the point. Okay? These laws were put in place by a perfect God who is good, mighty, and holy. Even if we don't understand them. Even if we don't get them. Even if we're like, that's messed up. Why she got to lose her hand? Like, the fact of the matter is, God is still good. He is still holy. And he still has a reason and a purpose for everything that he does. You see, because we have different, we have purposes of the laws. And so, one of the purposes is the, the Mosaic law reveals our sinful nature. And so, the law was given to reveal to us that we are imperfect. Because a lot of times, we can get a little too ahead of ourselves and forget that. And so the law was given to remind us that we are imperfect. In Romans 3.20, the Apostle Paul says, Therefore no one will be declared righteous in God's sight by the works of the law. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of our sin. The law also reveals our need to be separate from sin. The law reveals how you and I, we need to be separate from from sin. We need, to, we need to avoid sin. We need to be set apart, different than the world. We need to be 
separated from sin. We need to be holy, which means we are to be different than the rest of the world. And the most of all, the law reveals our need for a Savior. It reveals our need for a Savior. In James 2, verse 10, it says, For whoever keeps the law, keeps the whole law, and yet stumbles at just one point, is guilty of breaking all of it. We are guilty of breaking the entire law. You and I, we have fallen short. We have messed up. The wages of sin is death, and we are doomed to die because we have broken God's perfect law. Romans 3, 19 through 20, so we'll repeat that verse we just read. It says, now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be silenced and the whole world held accountable to God. Therefore, no one will be declared righteous in God's sight by the works of the law. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of our sin. We see the law and we know that we need a savior. We know that we are broken, that we are messed up, that we've made mistakes, that we have fallen short of the glory of God and we need a savior. In Matthew 5, Jesus says, do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. You see, God's desire was always to have fellowship with you and I. It was our sin that prevented that. He gave the law to set a standard of holiness and at the same time to show us that we can never live up to that holiness. That's why Jesus came to fulfill the righteous requirements of the law and then take the punishment of violating the law on our behalf. Jesus came and he was perfect. He was holy. He was the spotless lamb of God. He was able to live out and fulfill the law that you and I never could. We could never live up to all these rules. We could never live up to all the commands. We were always going to fall short. We were never going to be able to save ourselves. We were never going to be able to be perfect enough. We were always broken and we were always damned because we could not live up to the law. But God loved you and I so much that he sent Jesus to die on a cross to be the fulfillment of the law and to take the punishment of the law on our behalf. Not because of anything that we have done, but because of who he is and because of what he has done. I want to end with a story real quick and then uh, the worship team can come on out. Um, I don't know about y'all, I don't like bees. I don't know who likes bees. I don't. I, I never want to get stung by a bee. Now, in, in later days, I'm a little bit better at it. I can tell that because uh, Lucas and Sam and them aren't in here because um, they can tell you differently. But uh, I remember being a kid and being really afraid of bees. Um, and I remember being actually at the state park uh, and there being a bee there um, and, and me panicking. I was, I was like 10. Okay, give me a break. I was like 10. Uh, and, and I was kind of panicking, worried about the bee, and, and my dad ran up and grabbed it. Now, if you just knew my dad, this is just such a thing he would do. He runs up and grabs it, and then he lets it go, and I'm still panicking, right? But he says, you don't have to worry about the bee anymore because it already stung me. It, it has no stinger anymore. It has no power. It, it can no longer hurt you because it has no power in, in, in 1 Corinthians 15, 55, it says, Death, where is your victory? 
Oh, death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is in the law. The law has been fulfilled. Death has no power any longer. Death has no sting any longer because Jesus took that sting for us. Jesus took that for us. We no longer have to worry about sin and death because he has already went for us and he has taken that on himself so that through him, you and I can be saved. No matter where we're at, what we've done, what we've been through, Jesus loves you and I so much that he took the punishment of the law on himself for us and for our loved ones. And we can live in that hope today that even if we don't understand everything that goes on we can know and trust that God is good and everything that he has done is for good and I just hope that you would just place your faith and your hope in him today because I promise you this world is going to let you down but he never will join me in prayer Father God we thank you so much for this day Lord we thank you for everything you do for us and everything you do through us. And God, I just pray that you would be with each and every person here. God, I pray for your Holy Spirit to go out in this place, God. You know our pain. You know our struggle. You know what we're facing. And God, I just pray for your spirit, for your comfort to be with each and every person here. God, and if there's anyone here that does not know you right now, God, I pray that they would turn to you, that they would place their faith and their trust in you alone, and they would watch as you break every chain. Father, I pray for you to be here with us, Lord. We love you, and we trust you. In Jesus' name, amen.